0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to Investing in Cannabis. I'm your host, Brandon David. The rumors are true. There are only a couple more episodes of Investing in Cannabis left. The truth is, guys, I need new challenges. I need new experiences. I need to do new stuff. And uh, it's been a great seven-year run. I'll be talking a little bit um, about the podcast in the future weeks and what I learned about the industry, about myself, uh, and what I'm, what I'm up to now. I've got myself very busy doing some other things. Uh, but for today, we have Nick of Claiborne, which is one of the most popular I don't know top five something like that popular brands in california uh he defines them as a cultivator and a breeder which is a pretty interesting distinction there that that's the part that he really values the most uh it's a great conversation though we talk about everything from genetics and cultivation to distribution and retail and marketing lots and lots of good stuff from somebody that's really well accomplished, really deep in the game and uh, has been successful doing it. It's a great episode, guys. I learned a ton. You're going to learn a ton. Tune in. Listen up. Get acquainted. Nick, how you doing, man? So nice to meet you. Welcome to the show. Likewise. Thank you very much. I appreciate you uh, taking the time. Yeah. So, Claiborne, a name lots of people are going to know. You guys are very popular in California. Um, but let's hear it straight from you. What, what is Claiborne?
1: Yeah. So, we, are, uh, we like to explain ourselves as a breeder and cultivator. So, we're a breeder and cultivator here in California. Uh, we're one of the state's leading brands uh, by retail sales volume. And, uh, you know, our goal really. Like I always like to say, we're we're vertically integrated from breeding to brand. And that's really that's really how we run our business. So do all of our breeding in-house and uh, cultivation and then uh, make a bunch of cool products and roll them out, self-distributed to uh, our retail partners throughout California.
0: Nice. Um, Tell us about a few of the products.
1: Yeah. So although we specialize in flour, We're, we're expanding our product portfolio quickly right now because flower, you know, just consumers are spending less money on flower in general, right? Consumers are spending more of their money on vape cartridges and pre-rolls right now. So trying to keep up with what the consumer wants is something that uh, any leading brand has to do. So, um, with that being said though, the core of our business is still our flower products. So, um, What we're most known for is we offer various products at various price points to capture as many consumers as possible in the flower category. So we have products that uh, sell for 20 bucks a gram to connoisseurs, you know, our Gold Cuts flower line, for example, those are all of our newest genetics, uh, either from our own in-house breeding or or other breeders that we get uh, seed or cuts from. And then, you know, we have products all the way down to 10 bucks a gram for consumers that are on a budget, right? That want to spend a very small amount of money. Uh, and then we have products that are, you know, in between those price points from a price per gram perspective, you know, say 15 bucks a gram. that are, are large package sizes that some of the products that uh, we're most known for in California. You know, we were one of the innovators of uh, high volume sales of half ounces and one ounces in the indoor category. Um,
0: and, that's and one of the things I, I love about your brands is the smalls. There's more and more brands kind of doing the smalls or the, the half ounce ounce that you're, you're talking about. Um, yeah. I just love that as a strategy, I think, for, like, attracting people away from the illicit market, especially. I love yeah. that.
1: Yeah. So we rolled that out in 2019 with our one-ounce smalls, and they just rocket. It was it just took off like a rocket ship. And then by the time we came around to late 2021, there's a lot of people that, you know, copied that product. Yeah, sure. In a way. Um, so uh, people love smalls, though, especially right now because it's a value-
0: indoor grow. Well, what's The first quality? thing I do, I know not everyone's like this, but the first thing I do is put it in a grinder. So I don't know, doesn't really matter yeah. to me how big the buds are, but you're the, you're the expert, I suppose. Well,
1: you know, it's just, it's just a way to offer a value price product for our consumers. You know, I mean, as the market evolves, we're always changing kind of what we put into the jar in terms of nug count and stuff like that. Um, so right now, for example, we're you're, when you get a clay on jar, it's going to be nothing but fat buds. So uh, at least when, we're, when you're getting our private stock line or a gold cut line and stuff like that, just because that's what consumers want. But every genetic is different, right? What, what some consumers don't realize is that small is a relative thing. So when you have a small bud is a relative term, because certain cultivars like um, like cakes, for example, um or ogs let's just use ogs ogs generally speaking are smaller bud varieties naturally you know uh so what's a what goes into a small bud jar that's an og strain is probably going to be smaller than what goes into a small bud jar for like a german poison like a sativa for example mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: it's all just relative um but yeah i think i would like i'd like to say we're kind of the innovator of that product in california
0: yeah like i yeah, that's why I brought it up because I just remember when it when it came out, and I was like, "Oh, that's that's dope." Obviously, other people agreed. Um, take us back to the start. Uh, when did you start? What were you doing? Why why did you decide to do this? Yeah, so
1: we launched the brand in 2018, the end of 2018, and uh, I've had just, you know, I haven't been in the game for as long as many other of the pioneers, you know, the Jungle Boys of the world and things like that. But uh, much respect to all those guys, but. I've always had a lot of friends that dabbled in it or, you know, not dabbled in it, but, uh, you know, back when we were growing up in high school and stuff like that. And I was just always intrigued me, you know, I mean, uh, some of these guys were just growing freaking absolute fire back in, you know, the mid two thousands and late two thousands. And, um, you know, always, you know, always interested me basically. Mm-hmm. So, um, when legalization was coming around, I was begging my begging those friends, right, that hey guys we gotta we gotta get into the rec game now and let's figure out how we can do this and launch a brand and so on and so forth. And nobody really wanted to do it. So um at this point though, most of them are now trying to get into the rec market, like yeah. in twenty twenty two. And I'm like, guys, kinda Good missed luck. the boat here. <laughs> like Good
0: luck. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Kind of missed the boat here, brother. But um, you know, just Cannabis is an amazing plant, and um, you know my one of my partners, Brent. I have two partners, Brent and Jonathan. Brent's a plant breeder, plant geneticist. Went to school for it and all that stuff, and bred for very big uh, ornamental plant companies throughout the world. And he's just always been super intrigued by the plants as well because it's just it's just interesting. It's an interesting crop, and uh, there's so much variety, and there's so much potential um, from a breeding perspective. And where the industry goes from here is anybody's guess, but our guess is that it's going to be, there's still going to be the connoisseurs of the world out there, but I don't think that flower is going to be 30% or probably even 25% of sales, you know, over the next five or 10 years. It's probably and you're,
0: be less. You're not including pre-rolls in that. I'm not including pre-rolls in that. Yeah. Yeah.
1: You know, I spend a lot of time in stores. I try to spend as much time in stores as possible. Um, and, when i'm talking to consumers and you know more and more they're buying pre-rolls you know one of the questions that we we oftentimes get when we're doing demos and stores and stuff is you know hey you know we're launching this new strain oh well, do you have that in a pre-roll and when you hear that more and more frequently it's like okay this is just the market is going in this direction
0: mm-hmm. you know it,
1: it it is what it is you got to accept that so we're breeding like crazy right now to offer innovative flower products to our connoisseur customers that you know, we'll always probably smoke flour and more of the medicinal customers that will probably always smoke flour because it's what's most effective for them. But we have to be ahead of the curve in terms of where we're going with pre-rolls. And, you know, frankly, with pre-rolls, for the most part, there's a very small subset of people that like connoisseur grade pre-rolls, but for the most part, nobody really gives a crap what's inside of that dang pre-roll. It just is what it is. I've asked a million consumers, you know, and they, their eyes glaze over when we talk about the quality of flour inside of the pre-roll. Mm-hmm. So yeah. we got to be real with ourselves on in that regard. So we're kind of, that's where I expect the market to go. You know, uh, it's already going in that direction. So we're preparing ourselves to, to service both of those consumer bases, you know?
0: So if the quality of the bud is not as important, what is important brand? What, what's going to be important?
1: It so just I guess the quality of the bud is important. Okay, yeah. that's just an underlying effect, right? Because if the consumer tries your product and doesn't like it, right, mm-hmm. uh, it's not they're not going to come back, right? And they maybe don't realize the consumer maybe doesn't realize. Let's say the non connoisseur consumer probably doesn't realize the quality of the flower that's inside of the pre roll or whatever is, uh, you know, adds to their experience or controls what they experience is that they're going to have, right? They may not realize that. So we have to, we have to offer high-quality flour, right? We have to put high-quality flour into our pre-rolls, for example. We have to use high-quality materials when we make our concentrates, for example. But what really matters is the consistency to the consumer, you know? Um, again, there's the, there's the connoisseur and then there's everybody else. And the connoisseur is a small subset. In my personal opinion, the connoisseur wants variety. They want to try this gold cut today and that gold cut tomorrow. We launched our, uh, we had these variety packs that we do now. So we launched one for 420 and we launched one for 4th of July. We call it our Star Spangled Bangers pack for 4th of July. And it was five different gold cut strains, one gram each. People loved it. Yeah. And the people that were smoking those things were, they were the connoisseurs because they want to try all the different gold cuts. And some of them were like mixing them together. And like, yeah, awesome. it's like
0: getting a beer flight, right? It's like you want it's to like try a beer yeah. Exactly. But the dude going
1: to the barbecue, you know, it's probably grabbing a 30-pack of Coors Light, but the beer connoisseur is probably going to grab the flight pack and trial them out with his friends and stuff. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of a good example, right? The amount of flight packs sold in the market for beer have to, you know, be a fraction of a percent compared to the folks that are buying a 30-case of Coors Light. So, you know, this 30-case of Coors Light is the pre-roll, you know? Let's be real. And and that's my opinion, you know? So um, you got... The connoisseurs that want the variety that are probably always going to smoke flower. When they do smoke a pre-roll, they're going to smoke the the leading flower brands, connoisseur grade pre-roll. And then you got everybody else, and everybody else is a much bigger subset of the
0: market. Of course, yeah. yeah. Um. So back to I, I love your predictions about the future. Like I love the the comparison to the the thirty rack. I think that makes a lot of sense. More sense than the wine analogy by the way, I think. Um, yeah,
1: I mean, the wine analogy is one that I think about often as well. More, more so from a um, pricing perspective, in my opinion, because wine is, when you go to the store or you go to BevMo or whatever, right, you got 5 and $10 wine that seems to just completely, when you look at the leading wine companies uh, by volume in the United States, I guess, for example, I mean, for the most part, they're all $5, $10, bucks. For a bottle of wine, you know. Yep. Uh and then there's this subset of 25 plus dollar bottles of wine, 25, 50, dollars right? And that's just, you know, a ton of different brands, right? All fighting for that connoisseur wine. Very refer.
0: small percentage. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I don't know what the percentage is. I don't have a headset for the wine industry, but <laughs> you know, that's that's what I think the wine industry is more apt to is the pricing analogy. So you, you have a bottle of, one of the things I think about often is, you know, you have a bottle of wine, you go to the store and you buy a bottle of wine and you spend 10 bucks on it. You get four, whatever, four or five glasses, right? And you've spent basically a dollar a glass, $2 a glass on that bottle of wine to enjoy with your friends or your wife or by yourself or whatever. Um, That's probably kind of like an eight in a way, right? Uh, you might not smoke that whole eighth in one shot or that whole pre-roll pack in one shot. But if you're going to share it with friends, whatever, that's probably where an eighth ounce jar is going to go. It's probably going to be that $10, 15 price point, depending on mm-hmm. what taxation is in the state. And then you're going to have the $50 plus dollar eights. And there's probably not going to be a whole lot in between. I mean, you look at the headset data, it's already kind of diverging in that way. There's the super cheap stuff that's going to be, you know. I think maybe it's going to be analogous to the wine pricing model, you know, mm-hmm. because you, like I said, you kind of get the same use out of the products—a bottle of wine versus an eight, for example, or a bottle of wine and a five-pack of pre-rolls—and mm-hmm. um, it's how much you want to spend, and you know, you know, I guess what level of consumer you are. You mm-hmm. know, when you're a bot, when you're a wine connoisseur, you're. You're buying variety, you know. My uncle's a wine connoisseur. He's got crazy variety. He's probably not buying the same bottle of wine twice. Mm-hmm. And that's you know that's how I think. Uh, and he also doesn't care what he spends, right? Uh, he's gonna spend fifty or hundred or five hundred bucks on a bottle of wine just for the experience and the exclusivity of it. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of you know that's kind of how the flower market's gonna go in my opinion. The majority of sales are gonna be in that five, ten, fifteen dollar eight price point, and then 4 pre-roll price point, and then you're gonna have everybody else that's fighting for the connoisseur grade shelf space. And I think, you know, that's probably how it's going to diverge. And it's kind of already doing that right in front of our eyes. So,
0: yeah, we'll yeah, fascinating. So in that world, how do you differentiate yourself in the 30 back 30 pack analysis, you know, in the, in the, the lower price category? That's brand and
1: consistency in my opinion, you know, I mean the consumer, even though they're spending a very small amount of money, of course the consumer still thinks that they should get a very repeatable quality experience. You know, uh, if I'm drinking a Coors Light, it tastes the same every single time. Now we're dealing with a plant here, so it's a little bit different. Uh, but in terms of your ability to offer, you know, absolute consistency to the consumer, but I think uh, the consumer, you know, the consumer wants brand recognition. The consumer wants of uh, the reliability of the product which is pretty much like any other consumer product in the world um, so whoever can do that best is going to win i guess you know and that's not an easy thing to do when you're dealing with a plant so that goes back to you know at some, you know you got to control your supply chain you got to control in my opinion your breeding um, or in our opinion you gotta you gotta have control of your breeding and genetics whether whether you're making pre-rolls or concentrates or flower, obviously flower is extremely important, but uh, you know, when you're a cultivator and you can improve yields by 50%, that drops straight to the bottom line. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you're relying on outside breeders to accomplish that, because ultimately that's where the majority of the yield is coming from. You can only do so much with the particular plant and your growing techniques. The rest of that, improved yield is coming from the, uh, you know, it's coming from the breeder and how well of a job they're doing from an agronomics perspective, from the, from the genetic profiles, right? So the, um, I think that that's, that's really the future, because if you can do that, you can offer your product for value to your consumers and stay healthy from a margin perspective. Mm-hmm. So that's why we breed in-house. Um, we, we take other people's genetics as well. But that's the primary reason why we bring house.
0: Let's talk about the other side a little bit, kind of on the marketing side. Yeah. Dispensaries have a tremendous, retail is a tremendous amount of power in this industry. Um, how have you gone about marketing? What's worked for you? Are you doing any digital billboards? Talk about you know, what's been successful.
1: Uh, we don't really do billboards, we do billboards. Every once in a while, if a retailer really wants us to, you know, ultimately the retailers oftentimes just want you to contribute and participate, you know, they want to work with brands that participate. Um, Yes, the retailers have a lot of control right now. Um, It helps when you're a leading brand. Uh, I can't imagine trying to launch a brand right now. That would be unbelievably challenging. Um, And I see it, you know, I see it every day right now where brands try to... Yeah. They try to launch and then they flounder, launch, flounder. We keep track on headset, kind of outside of headset, because headset doesn't really do this for us, but we keep track of uh, the number of brands on the market every month. So, the number, literally, just the number of brands that sold in a given month in each product category. And it's falling off like crazy right now. And um, it's very interesting. It peaked in like February of this year. And now it's just, it's fallen off quite substantially through. Uh, through June. So we'll see if that trend continues, but I foresee it continuing. Um, And that just, that kind of balances out that retail brand dynamic and the power that the retailer has, you know, I see. And um, you know, there's some retailers, some retailers take advantage of that more than others. And some are just, sometimes it gets ridiculous and you just have to say no. Right. But for the most part, everybody's in it to win it. Everybody's having the same challenges right now in the California market, including the retailers. They're trying to figure out how to make them make a profit. You know, they're trying to get more margin, stuff like that. And there's only, they have to work with certain brands that have the ability to give them that, you know, and not everybody can do that and still have a healthy business. So, you know, it's a very interesting time. Um, but from a marketing perspective at retail, you know, we, we spend a lot of time on the butt tenders. Um, we do a lot of bud tender sampling. That's always quite effective for us. Um, like I said, we participate where they, where they want us or allow us to, you know, a lot of people think that you got to pay for all the build outs, but oftentimes you don't have to. Um, the retailer just has a relationship with you. They want to display leading brands, so on and so forth. And, uh, you know, they realize it costs us a lot of money to be able to do that type of stuff, you know, doing build outs in their stores and telling our brand story on their shelf changing it every six months because they're redesigning their store that costs us a lot of money too. So, um, we like to look for retail partners that get that and understand that. Um, and, uh, yeah, the other thing we do for a marketing perspective at retail, um, obviously is we try not to do, we try not to be promotional heavy, like most other brands in California are. We do it where it makes sense, but, uh, sometimes it's just a little much. And I think we don't really want to be a participant in the race to the bottom, if you know what I mean. Um, so, um, you know, we do a lot of takeovers, for example. Like if we're going to do a big discount, we're going to do it in, in a big way, single day, single store. You know, uh, we just did one at a retailer in Orange County a couple weeks ago. Um, you know, we weren't giving buy one, get one free like a lot of people are doing right now. But I think we ran, ran 30% off. And we were 65% of that retailer sales that day. Um, and, you know, the marketing team just did a great job executing on that. So it really that, works.
0: It really works when you do it.
1: Yeah, it works. Yeah. You just have to do the right, have the right strategy going into it, you know, and the brands right now, they're just discounting everything every single day. It's mm-hmm. like, guys, what are you guys doing? Like mm-hmm. what you just getting the consumer into a habit that you're never going to be able to break. If every time you sell a unit, you give a unit for free every day of the week at every dispensary, you might as well just be selling a damn thing for half the price,
0: you know? Well, at that point, that's not a business. I mean, it's like a nonprofit or something, you know? A <laughs> nonprofit, yeah. But seriously, you know, if you're growing weed and losing 50% margin every time you sell it, I mean, you know, it doesn't make any sense. Um, I don't know. It's very
1: interesting. I've, I've never seen anything like it. I've, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty young. I'm, I haven't been around the block much in my life, but I'm thinking to myself, what in the world? I can't imagine another product in the world that gets
0: discounted as much as cannabis. You know what I mean? And- Insanity. Insanity. I, yeah, I, yeah. I agree. Um, how about on the e-commerce side? I think I saw you guys are doing the grass door thing, right? Um, how's that going for you? How's it working out?
1: It was slow going in the beginning, but we're suddenly starting
0: to see considerable
1: growth. So while the market is quite down right now, year over year, our D2C platform is up and to the right. So it's pretty cool, actually. We get to own the consumer, you know, relationship um, and introduce new products to the platform and things like uh, things like that. Some exclusive drops, we do things where we drop it a week before, you know, we drop it at retail and stuff like that. Uh, in terms of new products, you know, like our Star Spangled Bangers that we did for Fourth of July, they they released on uh, our Shop Claiborne website first. So it's been it's been a game changer for us. In the beginning, it was nothing, but now it's actually it's actually generating some some good revenue, and we're seeing good uh, user growth out of it, which is uh, you know just growing exponentially now because we're starting to get traction. So that's cool. It's good. Yeah, that's it's
0: very cool. Kind of- I think that's one of the few brands that have told me that positively, like, you know, it's, it's going well. So very cool. Let's just put it that way. It took us
1: one year before we started seeing it go in the right direction, but it's a totally different business. Now you got to figure out how to digitally market yourself. And you had to wade through all these digital marketing agencies that say that promise you the world and, you know, all this stuff. And, you know, you don't see any traction, you know, Uh, but it takes time to, I'm not a very, I'm not a patient person. So trust me, I was ready to pull the plug on this thing, but, uh, it takes time to build the, you know, for, for, it takes time to find the right ad networks and it takes time to find the right promotional program, how to gain the consumer, how to eliminate the friction in terms of getting the consumers information from the perspective of being able to market to them. Um, their emails and whatever, when, when they come in and uh, sign up on the website and stuff like that. But um, it also gives us, I think, a better understanding of what the retailers are going through too. I, I think that's one of the big things about it because we see, that, we see what products do and don't sell. You know, We have some products in our portfolio that we don't carry on shop Playboard because they don't move at a high enough velocity. And it's only certain retailers that actually move those products. Um, like our really, really expensive, like private stock ounces. There's only certain retailers that move those products, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and uh, Shop Claiborne is not one of them. So we just took them off, right? And it, it gives us an intel for when we talk to our, our, when our salespeople talk to our retail partners throughout California about what, what does well, what does and does not do well, and what we find on Shop Claiborne um, from the data that we collect on that platform. So
0: pretty That's interesting. Great. It's fascinating. Um, how much do you expect it to shift? How much of e-commerce do you think will be, you know, the cannabis market, however many years—five years? Five years?
1: Um, I would imagine that it's going to be a much larger percentage. Uh, I think it has something to do with how quickly the damn state of California gets more retail opened up. Um, you know, we use this term "pot deserts." And that's really why we launched the Shop Claymore website. The best example: if you're if you live in Southern California, you're familiar with the city of Riverside, and of course, you're familiar with the city of Los Angeles. Well, you can travel between Riverside and East LA, uh, and have zero dispensaries. And that's a 75 mile stretch of freeway. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you can go as far north as the 210, and you can go as far south as uh, the 91, and there's no legal retail. And the black market thrives in those areas. And the only way you can service those areas is through delivery. Uh, So that's where we see the majority of our traction on, on shop Claiborne because uh, although certain cities are flooded with retail, like the city of Paris, which is where we operate out of flooded with retail, there's like 75,000. There's a population of like 75,000 in Paris but there's like 12 dispensaries or something like that. And the neighboring city, Moreno Valley population is probably 120,000. And they also have 12 dispensaries, you know, so Merino Valley opened up a year and a half ago. All the Paris sales dropped and went to Merino Valley, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's an example of a market that, you know, maybe has a little bit too much retail, but it's probably not far off to be completely honest. You know, I personally compare it to liquor stores or anywhere, any retail where you can buy alcohol, right? That's probably a reasonable close guess, in my opinion, as to how much cannabis retail we should have. The retailers probably don't want to hear that. And the taxation is too high from a a 280E perspective for that to be feasible right now. But I would imagine if we did not have 280E implications on retailers, that that level of stores where you can buy alcohol versus how many stores you can buy cannabis, right? I feel like, you know, those numbers should probably be pretty close, but they literally can't be that close right now because the retailers wouldn't be able to survive because of their, their margin implications of 280E. So long winded answer of saying e-commerce will be more and more important if the state of California and the federal government does don't get their act together to fix that. Mm-hmm. The ability for a retailer to be successful mm-hmm. and the ability for retailers to be, you know, the retail, you know, the number of retailers uh, per capita that we should probably have. Um, so until that happens, which who, God only knows how long it will take for that to happen, e-commerce will just become more and more important, I think. Mm-hmm. But the e-commerce consumer is, man, they, they're a feisty bunch. I mean, yeah. people that are online, they want it right now not in five, not in, not in two hours. They want it in 30 minutes and they're going to cancel their order if you don't get it. Cause they're going to go to the next one, right? They're going to go to the next, you know, online retailer or whatever. So it's totally dynamic. I don't envy the, the, the delivery services. Um, those
0: guys have a hard job for sure. It's a tough job. It's a tough job for sure. Um, let's stay on the topic of taxes. Uh, California just shifted the, cultivation tax, deferred it back to retail, maybe I should say. Tell us about the actual implications of that for you and and sort of your thoughts on on that change.
1: Listen, I mean, everybody's seen the pricing compression that's happened since 2021. Although we're maintaining our prices because we don't want to devalue our brand. And we've seen several brands that have tried to drop their price like crazy to no avail. Uh, They're making less margin The same retailers that weren't paying them before are still not paying them. And it's created an issue and expedited that issue, in fact, for the brands that have dropped their price. So we are, you know, although we have not dropped our prices um, and we try to maintain that, we have to we had to ramp up on promotional efforts. Right. So. It's great that the state of California dropped the cultivation tax, but. We've lost that profit a long time ago, basically, you know, so it's helping us bring a little bit of that back, but that's really, that's really, a. it's not some type of huge windfall that allows us to, you know, invest in other things or anything like that at this point, you know, um, it's saving us a good chunk of money, but that's a good chunk of money that we're profiting in the past, you know? So it's great that they did it. Pricing adjustments at, that the consumer realizes have already been baked in, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So mm-hmm. it's not like prices are suddenly going to plummet. Yeah. What people don't understand is 161 bucks a pound is like a dollar and eighth when you're talking about our pricing category. Mm-hmm. Uh, every retailer under the sun knows that they've gotten their brand partners to drop their price by a dollar and eighth mm-hmm. in one way, shape, or form mm-hmm. in the past year and a half so uh yeah it's really the excise tax that needs to go away you know the excise tax is what's killing it yeah i should say the flower brands the flower brand the outdoor guys and stuff like that are going to see a huge benefit from the cultivation tax reduction because although it's pennies for uh an indoor premium brand it's dollars for the outdoor guys and the and the greenhouse guys so we just we don't play in that game so i can't speak to that but just looking at the numbers you know that's a that's a big chunk of the percentage of the profit for those outdoor guys and the and the greenhouse guys but if you're not selling it if you're not if you're not self distributing and selling your brand straight to the retailer i don't really see how how these folks are going to realize that benefit to be honest um we'll see but i don't see wholesale prices going up From a farmer's perspective now that the cultivation tax is gone um i feel like that is going to go to the middlemen and the retailer
0: Mm -hmm. i I do so you mentioned what they should do which is remove the excise tax or lower it is that (laughs) it should be gone
1: it should be lower well there's no way it's ever going to be gone but i mean five percent can you imagine if if all the products that the consumers were buying were 10% less expensive mm-hmm. and how much that would drive traffic back to the legal market. Yep. Uh, it's anybody's guess, but I would venture to guess it would be a huge number that would more than make up for the 10% le- uh, lower tax revenue that the state probably thinks they're gonna get if they lower if they drop the tax by 10%, right? <laughs> they probably think I dropped the tax by 10%, that's 10% gone, that I'll never get back. The reality is you'll get that in a matter of months with the right, with the right advertisements and all that type of stuff, you'll get that in a matter of months by people just converting back into the legal recreational market, you know? Uh, so yeah. I mean, that's a humongous number. You know, if you're buying a Claiborne half ounce, for example, out the door, 175, 180 bucks, you know, that's a, Drop me down to 160 bucks, mm-hmm. 140 bucks. That's a big difference. Yep. You now get to buy another thing in the store. You get to walk out with something else on top of it for that mm-hmm. same amount of money.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, uh, you know, but I don't know, I guess it's baby steps. I focus more on the local level with the city of Paris and things of that nature where we're licensed. Um, at the state level, you know, we participate through trade organizations and things like that, but um, seems like a long road. I'm, I'm uh, happy about the fact, obviously though, that they got rid of the cultivation taxes. That was, that was a huge win, but from who I, from some of the folks I talked to, it's kind of baby steps. All right, we got the cultivation tax. It's not like excise tax is going to be gone by the end of the year or anything like that, you know? So we'll see what happens next year. Uh, but we got to keep pushing to get that excise tax lowered and get more retail. It's lower taxes and more retail. There's lots of people on LinkedIn that have that as their, uh, Little tagline, hashtag less taxes, more retail, or whatever. But that—that's really—it's a very simple formula: mm-hmm. less tax, more retail. State's got to incentivize the the cities to allow more brick and mortar retail than they have right now. Mostly bringing on new cities, right? Orange County has one city; it's crazy, and now they're bringing more on, like Costa Mesa and Huntington and things like that. But we need more of that, I and mean, we need that more rapidly than we're seeing right now.
0: Mm-hmm. Well said. Thank you for your perspective on that. Very, very, very interesting. Um, let's talk a little bit about fundraising. Um, what you've built certainly is not cheap. Is this your money, founders' money? Have you guys raised money? Tell me about that story a little bit. Uh, I got
1: every last penny into my name into this damn thing. So uh, we started. We bootstrapped the hell out of this company, um, and you know we built built our cultivation facility with our own two hands, that type of bootstrap mentality. Right. And, uh, in, at the end of 2021, we did our first outside fundraising round, um, because we knew we needed to be capitalized for what was looming in 2022 and beyond. Right. So we did a fundraising round at the end of 2021. Um, and that was mostly for CapEx related, um, you know, Uses, so other than that, though, um, we haven't raised any additional funds. So, yeah, long story short, uh, bootstrapped it, friends and family for the from twenty eighteen to into twenty twenty one. Into twenty twenty one, we
0: raised a series A, and uh, here we are now. So, and with that round, what's next? Other states, new products? What? What? What are you going to do with that money? Uh, new products. Um, Like I
1: said, a lot of it was CapEx related. Um, so our facilities are thousand watt LEDs now. Um, you know, just breeding under the thousand watt LEDs and just realizing the energy savings and, and, uh, operating cost savings from, uh, from that investment, Mm -hmm. um, we grow vertically now. So we're, we're a vertical three tier grower now. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, just improve, basically improving our, our production efficiencies to get our cost of production down. So that's where a lot of it went, and then we have a lot of new products coming out. So we got to hire some great people um, to bring onto our team at uh, at the beginning of this year, and now we have a lot of new products, like I said, rolling out uh, for the remainder of the year. So we're going heavy on our pre-roll category with some innovative products, um, and we have a lot of new genetics that are launching the back half of the year in our Gold Cuts line. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, that's exciting. And And I think, uh, you know, from a state perspective, uh, we're definitely looking to go into other markets. California really threw everybody for a for a tailspin this year. So. 2023 is when we're looking to go out of market. Um, So we're having discussions with our retail partners and, um, you know, figuring out how we go to market in those other states. Uh, with our product portfolio and what we offer in those other states from a product portfolio perspective but um, you know from what i can tell so far i can't imagine any other states being as competitive as california is so if you can make it in california you can probably make it elsewhere but it's going to take a lot of sound execution from an, a sales and operations perspective mm-hmm. so uh, we have we have to make sure we have the right products um, and uh you know we have to make sure they're defensible for a a good period of time, um, like some of our innovative pre-roll products that we're rolling out. And that's really the strategy. So 2023 is gonna be a big year for that.
0: Very, very exciting. Um, What kind of consumer are you? Do you like flowers? Do you like pre-rolls? Probably not. Um, what, What are you into?
1: Uh, I'm a flower guy, uh, you know, smoke on the weekends type of thing. But I mean, some of our new pre-rolls are pretty good. So I've been smoking this weekend. I was doing nothing but smoking our new pre-rolls. So I'm part of the problem. You
0: you have the infused ones yet or what, which one are you working on?
1: We have three new pre-roll products. So we have, um, we have, a our, our full flower line is enhanced with Keith. We have, we put a Keith in a a lot of our products, like our power packs, our power stacks Mm -hmm. and our pre-roll line. So, we have our full flower pre rolls that are enhanced with Keef. Um, and that's what's on the market right now two packs, five packs, and the 20 pack. Um, and then we have um, a product launching in about two weeks, which is our variety pack. So, we have a variety pack that takes um, awesome strains from those uh, from our lineup that we have right now uh, in flower and pr- uh, puts them in a flight pack. So, we have three different flight packs rolling out that are this cool kind of unique branding on each pack. Um, so it was launched in two weeks. And then in, uh, September, we have another infused pre-roll coming out. That's consistently testing in the 50% range. And that'll be offered in um, all of our different popular strains. And that'll be offered in various package sizes as well. And then right after that, we have kind of the ultimate Pre-roll launching, which we think is is going to be the future. So uh, we don't even have a name for it yet, but that's what I was R&Ding this weekend. It's we've gotten them into a lot of people's hands and people love it. I don't want to talk too much about it yet because it it is going to be something unique to the marketplace. So um, that's very what we're exciting. excited about. Yeah,
0: very exciting. So, um, well, I think that's a good place to start to wrap up. Um, how can the audience help you? Are you guys hiring for anything? Obviously try some products. Um, anything else that you want to plug? Yeah. I mean, uh, go to
1: shop Claiborne, try our products. We have a QR code on all of our products. We've had that there for about a year and a half now. So that's where we get a lot of our consumer feedback. So scan the QR code, let us know what you think. That guides our new product development efforts, both from, both from bringing a breeding genetics perspective and what we need to improve or do better or continue to do well uh, with our current product portfolio. So that's, that's always a good thing. Always leave us the feedback. We get dozens of pieces of feedback a week, which is awesome. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I guess, I guess that's pretty much it. Ask for, ask for Claiborne at all your local dispensaries.
0: Nice, man. Well, thank you again. This was really great. Appreciate it. Thank you.